How's everybody doing today? Y'all feeling happy? I'm feeling pretty happy. It took me a week to start to feel happy. Why did it take me a week? Well, no, I, rain doesn't bother me. Nothing's changed for the last 64 years, so, so I can't wait. Can't be happy based on the weather. Uh, so, the reason I was unhappy, I was unhappy on Easter, super unhappy. Um, but it didn't, it didn't happen right away. It happened right after the service. Three great services, lots of people in the room that I hadn't seen for a long time. Uh, just great day honoring Jesus and the resurrection and all that God had did through that. Uh, it's an amazing morning. It felt good. And I uh, only ate half a crumble cookie. But then I crashed, literally. Uh, I walked out the door, and I was parked on the grass like many of you. And so I was leaving the grassed area over by the ball fields, just straight back like this. And I go to make this U-turn to get onto the parking lot. And as I make this U-turn, I'm... Kind of, uh, so I don't really remember what all happened, <laughs> but as I'm making that U-turn, the front end of my car is so high because I drive a truck, and I hit something so hard, but I couldn't see what I hit, and all of a sudden, a 650-pound, not a person, but a <laughs> concrete pot, I hit it so hard that it starts to spin, and it shoots about 10 feet out onto the parking lot, off the dirt onto the parking lot, and is spinning so much that it spins out to where I could see it. I go, oh, that must have been what I hit. But it's spinning, and all of a sudden, it starts coming towards my truck. <laughs> so I hit it with my bumper, just kind of like this swinging around type thing, and it caused it to just spin. So it's spinning like a top, and it's coming straight for me. And I'm like going, ah, you know. And, and it's, it hits me at my door. I go, no. It hit my door. I don't care about the bumper. I care about the door. And it, it shoots back out, but it's still spinning. And all of a sudden, I go, oh, no, it's coming back. And it came back and hit my, my back door. So I have four, two doors on the side. And it hits them both. It bounces off and spins again, comes back and hits me again. It wasn't a good day. But luckily, nobody saw it. <laughs> except, except, I look in the distance, and there's Malachi. <laughs> and he's sitting there, like in shock, just kind of like, what just happened? And I thought, well, at least he's concerned. And then I look over, and then I see our security guy, Dan Wyden. He's laughing. <laughs> Which one do you think is a Christian? <laughs> so I was, with, I was with, the other day I was with uh, our facilities manager, Doug. He just had heart surgery, by the way. Please continue to pray for Doug Evans. 
He had heart surgery a couple weeks ago, and uh, he's recovering, doing very well. I go over to go for a walk with him because he has to exercise his heart, go down the block and back. And so I go walk him, and we come back to the house, and uh, he sees my car, and he goes, what happened? And I said, well, I told him the story. And he goes, are you kidding me? I did the same thing. He says, look at my truck. And the whole tr- side of his truck is sideswiped. He goes, I felt so bad about it. I felt so stupid. I was like, man, am I just getting old and I just can't see things or what? He said, I go, no, I think Satan put a curse on these things. I don't know what the deal is. And he goes, you know, I used to feel really bad about it until the fire department came with their fire truck and did an inspection. And on their way out, they sideswiped the whole pot, too. I go, now all of a sudden I felt very, 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 very good. And I said, Doug, I, I love the fact that you share the same pain as me, but it makes me feel very good that the fire department also did the same thing, so that's good. But you know, sometimes there's things, things uh, happen, sometimes you don't see things, Right? You can't see it. And when you can't see things, sometimes uh, we get surprised. And eventually, it works out for our good, okay? So far, it hasn't worked out for my good, but I'm expecting it to. I'm looking for it. Maybe this right now is the redemption of it. Maybe those of you that have sideswiped something, now you feel a little less pain, a little less judgment from your spouse. Uh, and uh, maybe, maybe we can all kind of nurse this pain together, a corporate nursing of, of foolish pain. But today I want to go to a story that talks about when Jesus shows up and you can't see him, okay? When Jesus shows up and you can't see him. And uh, I would like to title this message today, When God Doesn't Meet Our Expectations. When God Doesn't Meet Our Expectations. Let's pray. Lord, I, I pray right now that you would lead and guide and direct us as we explore some scriptures and look at some truths that um, could really help us move along in our lives, help us improve how we do family, help us improve how we do our relationships, how we build our businesses, how we handle disappointment in life. Um, Pray, God, that you would would give us some insight here today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to go into this story, and as we go through this story, I want you to understand something. There's two things that are happening as we go through this story. One is this is a true story of something that happened, Okay. So there's some facts that are involved with this story. But there's also some truth that you come from the analogies that you can draw from the story, okay? So there's the obvious facts and there's the obvious, the obvious uh, you know, uh, things that happened that we can look in history and find them. But the real thing that we're looking for is not the facts, we're looking for the truth that we can apply into our own lives. And this story is called The Road to Emmaus. Now, two weeks ago, we had a wonderful Easter service, and we celebrate the resurrection. But when Jesus rose from the dead, not everybody 
was all excited at first. There were some that were super bummed. And there was two disciples that were leaving Jerusalem, and they were on a seven-mile walk to a town called Emmaus. Okay? In a moment, we'll talk about the importance of Emmaus and what pictures came to people's minds when you said the word Emmaus. But they were on their, this road to Emmaus, and as they were on this road to Emmaus, they had some experiences that were quite enlightening. And if I was to pull out all of the lessons or all the truths that are in this story, I'd be here for hours. So I'm only going to do 15 of them uh, <laughs> so that we're only here for two hours. Um, now, I, I, I would really encourage you to pull out your Bibles and read chapter 24 and really see how many truths you can pull out of this passage. This might be a really good devotion for you to spend a couple weeks on, just pulling it out. And, uh, but it's very powerful. So let me set the stage before I read it. Jesus dies. He's, he, he's put into a tomb. And on the third day, he rises and disappears. Okay? And, um, and people start scattering all over the place because they're like, hey, what they did to Jesus, they could do to his, all his followers. So people are going a lot of different directions. People are hiding, people are running, doing all kinds of things. And, uh, and it was a very serious time because this was, there was two very powerful groups that were offended. Uh, one was the religious community and the hierarchy of the religious community, the scribes, the Pharisees. Um, and then there was the Roman government uh, who didn't like anybody challenging their power. And so the minute you challenged it, they removed your threat, okay? And, uh, and so this is the climate in which we're talking about. And so let's go ahead to this, this passage in uh, Luke chapter 24. It's a bit long, but we'll read it. And see if we can get through this and pull some really good truth out of it. Okay? So, um, this is the day that Jesus raises from the dead. And it says, that same day, two of Jesus' followers, verse 13 of 24. Uh, that same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. <clears throat> that same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came out and began walking with them. So, so Jesus shows up. They're on their way to Emmaus. Now, keep in mind, when, they put, when the writer put this in there, when Luke put this in there, Emmaus was very, very an important part of this. See, Emmaus represented a story. If I say Pearl Harbor, many of you would say that you remember about the bombing of Pearl Harbor, okay? Or if I say 9-11 or uh, New York at 9-11, you have a picture in your mind of what took place on that day. And for these guys, for Jewish people, Emmaus was a place of victory, a place where they were outnumbered. 47,000 to probably 3,000 people in a battle in which the Jewish people won uh, with, a, with a man, last name is Maccabees, 
You may have heard of that. The Maccabees uh, battle. And they won this battle in a very surprising way. And it was legendary that this small group of people could do something so huge as pushing back an army of 47,000 people. Amongst the 47,000 people, now keep this in mind, there's a lot of analogies in here that really are important or that can be really helpful in your own life. Amongst the 47,000 were many slave traders, and they loved war because when you go to war, you can capture people, and then you can sell them as on the slave trade, okay? So these guys are all staged, and they're ready to go. They're ready to make some cash, right, and selling people as slaves. And so this idea of battle and war being won against those that wanted to oppress and those that wanted to enslave, they won the victory. And it's, it's an analogy of who, what we go through on a regular basis in life is we move from things trying to enslave us or to overcome us or to take the life from us. And when we stand with God, even though we're outnumbered by the odds, we can press on towards the victory. So Emmaus was a, a, a good memory for the Jewish people. Not so good for the Greeks, but very good for the Jewish people. Okay, So these guys are on their way to the place of victory. They're on the way to where you win. Okay, But it also was symbolic of a military win. Okay, There's a military win, a, a win that violence created. Because they burned that city down, they, or they burned that camp down where all the Greek uh, soldiers were at, and uh, sent them off, scattered them all over the place. It's a very heroic type thing, okay? But it was all done through violence, all done through burning, killing, destroying. All right, let's keep going. As they walked along, they were talking about every good thing that had happened, okay? As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself uh, I'm sorry, let me reread 14. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. Okay, it's not a good thing. I don't know where that came from. Every bad thing, actually, that had happened to Jesus. As they walked and they discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came, began, began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you guys discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. One of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem that hasn't heard about the things that have happened here the last few days. Jesus says, well, what things? The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth. Now notice, they're walking with Jesus, talking to him about Jesus. And God had kept them from recognizing him. They couldn't see him. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped that he was the Messiah 
who had come to rescue Israel. These things happened three days ago. Key word there, we had hoped. So in other words, they basically figured that we were wrong. He wasn't the prophet that we thought he was. He wasn't the one that did these miracles or these miracles now are, are stopped and this is the end of his, his reign or his rule. We thought he was a messiah. So Maccabees, in the battle of, of Emmaus, he was considered a hero, almost like a messiah because he'd saved Israel or Judah. He'd saved Judah from the Greek soldiers. And they were expecting that, that Jesus would do the same thing, that Jesus would come and take over the Roman government, kick them out of power, and begin to set everything straight with the Jewish hierarchy, and set them free from the bondage and the oppression and the enslavement that was going on in their lives. They were expecting Israel. Now, remember, they weren't financially prospering. They weren't doing well with health. They weren't doing well with their businesses. They weren't doing well with things. And so there was a a lid put on everything. And so here they were, disappointed, bummed out as they're walking. And the first truth that I want you to draw from this is, is that that sometimes when you're walking through life and you're on a journey, you can't see how God is working. You can't see it. And in fact, you think that he's not working at all. And all of a sudden, you begin to question, who is God? Because things didn't happen the way you expected them to happen. They expected him. Now, see, remember, The early, even the early Christians, they didn't know that Jesus was paying the final sacrifice. They didn't know. They all saw him as the Messiah from an external salvation. A a deliverance from the Romans. A deliverance from the oppressive religious world. A deliverance from their diseases. A deliverance from their poverty. That's what they saw, much like people today when they look at their political party coming into rule or going out of, or one political party going out of rule or one coming in, they believe that this is going to be the, the salvation of our people. And so it's an external view of how the Messiah really operates. So even though man operates in an external world with wars and sanctions and policies and jails and police and all these different things. These are all um, external deliverance or external victories or external punitive type ways of controlling or keeping people free. Are you following me? Okay, and so... So the city of Emmaus is like this place that stands for human victory, human Messiah, human wins, human settling. And there's nothing wrong with police. There's nothing wrong with having a military, okay? 
but it's not the same way of dealing with things as God deals with them. So Jesus comes, remember, Palm Sunday, Jesus comes in on a donkey, humble, not in a military fashion, but in a relational fashion, trying to relate to the people. Are you following me? Okay. So let's keep reading on this and get the rest of the story here. See, they had hoped. So in other words, their vision of what was going to happen didn't happen. Their, God did not meet their expectations. He just didn't meet it. Verse 22. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early in the morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them that Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the, as the woman had said. And Jesus goes on to school him a bit and starts reading him some scriptures and starting to explain why he came to do what he did. And verse 28 says, By this time they were nearing Emmaus, the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on. But they begged him, Stay with us, since it's getting late. Keyword, getting late, or keywords, getting late. It's getting late, it's starting to be sundown. You don't travel at night in those, that, that, that uh, area because you get hit by robbers and things along those lines. Okay, we'll come back to that in a minute. So he went home with them, and as they sat down to eat, he took bread and blessed it. He broke it and gave it to them. Does that sound familiar? That happened just a few days before on the Last Supper, okay? Suddenly their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And at that moment he disappeared, and they said to each other, didn't our heart burn? As he talked with us on the road and explained the scripture to us. Verse 33. And within an hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. Remember? It was late. And as soon as they saw Jesus, they recognized they were going to the wrong place. Okay? Within an hour, they're on their way back to Jerusalem, and they found the 11 disciples and others who had gathered with them who said, the Lord has really risen. He's appeared to Peter, just as he's appeared to Peter. Ooh, ooh. All right, let's look at it like this. Jerusalem is the place, it's the Mecca, if you will, of spiritual pilgrimage for pagans, Jews, Christians, Muslims, all kinds of people, all kinds of religions. There's more than just those. But there's something special about Jerusalem. There's something very spiritual. People know it. They sense it. It's been that way forever. Okay? That doesn't mean that you are less spiritual because you live in Covington or Federal Way, Fed Wheezy, whatever, Right? <laughs> No, but it's symbolic. And so if you look at Jerusalem as a spiritual place and Emmaus as a place of human victory, you see these two contrasting things. There's the inner work that happens in Jerusalem of your heart. And then there's the physical accomplishments of human capabilities. Okay? Now, 
Neither one of them have to be bad. But they both can be bad. Okay? Because we know that there's spiritual darkness. Because there's a lot of things that happen in Jerusalem that are very dark. But what we're describing is the internal soul of Jerusalem, of your heart. Okay? So on our journey of life, when you're in between Jerusalem and Emmaus, there is this temptation when things don't go the way that you wanted them to, they're not working out how you saw them to work out or how you thought God would do it, sometimes it's because you're looking at an external win of natural consequences that are, you're facing and when God doesn't heal the way that you asked him to, or prosper you the way that you asked him to, or bring your son back, or your wife back the way that you asked him to, or whatever the circumstance is. Oftentimes, we get caught up in looking at victories of winning in the external realm as being the number one goal. But God wants to do a deeper work. So sometimes when we're going through stuff, we're walking along and we think that Jesus is done. And we go, we had hoped he would heal. We had hoped that he would fix the marriage. We hoped she would change her mind. We had hoped the church would do this. We had hoped that we'd get this person in office. We had hoped that the person in office would do this or do, do that. We had hoped. But what we were looking at is external things that are done in the flesh or done in the human capacity. Okay? Not necessarily bad, but not always good. Okay? And what this journey, our journey does for us as we're walking is we get, we get in this tension between Jerusalem and Emmaus, the place where you win with the flesh or human capabilities, or we win by allowing God to do what he wants to do with our soul, with our hearts, the spiritual realm of our soul. And so as we look at this idea, some of us reflect on times when we were in a dark place and we couldn't see Jesus. And then all of a sudden, our eyes are opened and we see that Jesus showed up in a way we hadn't expected him to in somebody that we never would have thought would be used by God. You ever been in that spot when all your friends were silent and nobody showed up to visit you or nobody called you? You think that maybe there was an intentional blindness to seeing what God was trying to do until you looked within? Okay. Something to think about, right? So I want to give you I want to give you four real quick thoughts. 
uh, that we can learn along this journey, that we can learn from this story of Emmaus. And I think these might be helpful. So the first one, when someone or something disrupts our life or our comfort zone, we want to attack or address it externally. Happens all the time. You know what I mean? Somebody disrupts or makes a change for you. You didn't plan on it, but somebody else did it. All of a sudden, now you are totally engaged on a level that you did not choose. Oh, man, we know what it's like. Tina right now, her mom has got dementia. And it's a hard thing because she goes in and out, right? One minute she's there and pretty cognitive. It's a beautiful thing. Another minute there she just forgets a lot of things really quickly. It's really tough. Well, all of a sudden, boom. We've got to fly down to Arizona. Got to clean up the house, move her up here, put her in a place that she probably didn't want to go into. She's still not really sure why she's there. Okay, that's an interruption of our comfort zone. Because now it's changing the very things that we prioritize now. Not our choice. It was, it was decided for us. Are you following me? Okay, so that happens to us, right? You get a family member that gets a diagnosis. You lose somebody that you love greatly. You didn't plan on it. You didn't want it. But it happened. And then all of a sudden, things are, our, our flow, our comfort zone is it's disrupted. So what do we want to do? We want to make some changes. And so sometimes the first thing we do is try to handle it in the flesh. Okay? To have an external victory. And I'm all for fixing things. Eating good foods, that's a, that's a human effort, right? Uh, getting the right doctor or doing the right exercise or going to the chiropractor or whatever it is that you got to do, right? Borrowing some money, whatever you have to do. But those things are all external type stuff. There has to be some looking within to say, okay, God, what do you want me to do? Getting centered, not just relying on the flesh, because sometimes you don't have the tools. Maybe you don't have the sword. Maybe you don't have the money. Maybe you don't have the power. Maybe you don't have the influence. And, and so the flesh kind of comes up short. You don't have the army to back you up, okay? But everybody has access to Jerusalem. It's kind of interesting that soon as they saw Jesus and got Jesus revealed themselves, they changed their destination. They went back to Jerusalem. They realize, oh man, we're trying to do this by the flesh. We got to get back in the, in the game. We got to get back to the core, to the center of who we are and not let us stress out. So you ever feeling stressed out? Like, I can't handle this. I can't do this. I can't deal with this. And you freak out. And then pretty soon, your, your response to the situation is worse than the situation. And your anxiety begins to tear you down. So, 
try to get another president or we, we hope that we can go to war. We burn it down. We get violent. We shame. We get punitive. We get forceful. We get angry. We get mad. Then we take it out on God. We take it out on our friends, our spouse, our mom, our dad. Take it out on other people. So when someone or something disrupts our, our life or our comfort zone, we want to attack or address it externally. We've got to shift that back to Jerusalem. Number two, we have expectations for God to fix it our way. Remember when Jesus said, right before he goes to the cross, he, he goes out and he spends some time with God. Remember, God, Jesus was all man and all God. Okay? Weird combo. Uh, and uh, so he goes out there and he's like, God, if there's any way, Father, to take this from me. I'm not looking forward to this at all. Because he's going to feel every pain that you've ever felt. Because he's carrying it all on the cross. Every pain, every sickness, every disease. And Jesus is feeling it, right? He's going to carry it. And he says, uh, take this cup from me, but not my will. May your will be done. What is he saying? Jesus, I don't want to go. I don't want to go and get hung on the cross with this external punishment and feel this pain. Take it away from me. Take it away. Wipe out these guys. Take me off this cross, you know, before I even get there, right? He's dealing with an external situation, this pain, this sickness, this humiliation, these nails through his wrist and his feet and all the stuff, right? He's saying, take it from me, but not my will, but your will be done. Sometimes I think that we stand for things and we fight for things and we don't hear the voice that says, relax, it's going to be okay, you're going to get through this. It may not go the way you want it to go, but don't worry, I got you, I got you. And so sometimes... We have a way to fix things, and we want God to do it instead of looking at what God wants to accomplish in us internally. Okay? we got to get back to Jerusalem. But sometimes the expectations we have for God, they just aren't met. But what we want to do is tie in to what God is doing in here. Okay? Third thing. We often can't see Jesus or God because he shows up as someone else. And when our kids were in, in school, there was a couple situations where, man, we were struggling and, uh, with our parenting, what I, I would consider our parenting, we're dealing with different situations. And, man, we tried all kinds of things. And it was, it's funny, when I'm looking back at some of those things and other areas in which we've had some really dark seasons of our lives, Tina and I as a couple, it's interesting how it's never the people that we thought should be there that helped us. It was always people that showed up and they helped us. And when it was all over, 
they disappeared. Just like Jesus did in this story. It's like, it's almost like God is saying, okay, you have a situation going on. I recognize it. And you have a person that you'd like to have come fix this. You have a way that it should be done. But I also have a way and I also have a person. And it's not going to be your person. And so they didn't recognize this person that was walking down the road with them. And they had been with Jesus. They watched him go on the cross. They saw him. They ate with him. They they walked with him. They went on missions together. They saw him do miracles. And it was amazing stuff that they experienced. And yet, they're walking with him and can't recognize him. And I feel like God sends people into your life. I know that God sends people into your life. And you can't recognize that it's God because you see all their humanity. But God sent them. <laughs> Ken and I have very funny stories about tough times of what we get. And the people he sent to us, I was like, God, really? You sent that person? What? This person isn't even like in my top 1,000. And you sent him. Why? You see what I'm saying? All right. I hope that resonates. Some of you are mad because certain friends didn't show up when you're going through stuff. And God kept you from seeing himself because he sent somebody else and you couldn't see it because you had a plan that you wanted God to fulfill instead of you finding out God's plan being fulfilled. I'd like the band to come up. Last one. We have to get back to Jerusalem. I got to get back to the place where we settle things in here first. Then once we get this clear, then we can see clear it out here. And so Paul gives us a great formula in Philippians when he's talking to the Philippian church. He says this. This is so awesome. He says, be anxious for nothing. Pray about everything. Be grateful. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will rule your heart and mind. In other words, Jerusalem will take over. You take a pilgrimage back to Jerusalem, even if you have to turn around in the middle of the night and wade through unsafe paths, unsafe roads, dark roads, where on the way there, you might get hijacked, robbed. Don't worry. I got you. I got you. I got you. But get back here. Get back to the Jerusalem of the heart. Okay? Now, he says, be anxious for nothing, pray about everything, or uh, pray about everything and be grateful. And the peace of God will rule your heart and mind. He didn't say everything will go away. He didn't say, I will fix it the way that you see it to be fixed. He didn't say that. He just said, the peace of God that surpasses your understanding of what's out here will rule your heart and your mind. And instead of imagining horrific things, you start thinking about the peace of God and how God will have the victory. It won't be by my flesh. It won't be by my might. It won't be by my army. It won't be by my force. It won't be by my punitive damage. You know, all that kind of stuff. My violence and my loud voice and my being a jerk. You know, that's not how it's going to work. It's going to be about God coming in and giving you the peace. And when he gives you the peace, then all of a sudden, 
you can see clearly of what your role is and what you need to do, and then Jesus will reveal himself, and you'll see him in somebody else that you go, oh my God, that's my angel. That's my person. That's who Jesus chose to show up in. Watch, it'll happen for you. Let's pray. Lord, we pray right now for our journey, our road that we're on. Help us see the people that you bring into our lives and help us release our expectations and grab a hold of our faith. There's a big difference. Lord, we just put our faith in you. We trust that your will is constantly working its way into our lives. And Lord, as we, as we receive it and as we follow it and, and just hang on to you, Lord, we just believe that the greater days are ahead. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You know, when God shows up in our lives, there's this thing that happens on the inside of our heart and as Christians in the Christian tradition, once that decision is made to follow Jesus and to focus on the Jerusalem of the heart, we get baptized. And that's what we're going to do right now. We have three baptisms this morning, I think, two or three this morning. I think we have like 13 the next service. And so at this time, I'm going to have the ushers come forward and take the lid off the baptismal tank. After the baptisms, we're going to dismiss the service. And maybe you have a need for prayer because you got a situation where your comfort zone or your life has been altered, not by any choice of your own, or maybe by some dumb thing that you did. I don't know. But nonetheless, you recognize that having somebody help you get back to the Jerusalem of your heart would be a good idea. I would encourage you to come and pray with the prayer partners that are up here at the end of the service. The other thing is, some of you have never received Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, the one that helps you sort between this external and this internal, the one that helps you navigate it because he's lived it, he's walked it, he's walked what you've walked through. And as you place him at the center of your life, man, beautiful things begin to happen. That anxiety lifts, that peace comes, and the best days of your life will follow you.